the book of Matthew, chapter number seven. Matthew, chapter number seven. This is a familiar passage of scripture for several reasons. I am going to be talking about this particular passage of scripture and really what it means. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse number 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. One more time, I'm going to read verse number 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I really do not intend to preach real long here this morning, but I do have some very important things to say. I want to talk about the most fearful verse in the New Testament. You are here today by divine design. You are not here to be hurt. You are not here to be mishandled. You are here to receive from God the most fearful verse in the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. Father, I am in awe of your glory and your power, your spirit that has filled this place, your glory that is in attendance in this house. We pray that you'll touch every life, fill every heart, change every life, we ask it in the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There is little question that even the reference of the scripture will capture the attention of anybody. Um. I have to confess to you that when I hear this scripture, I almost wince. Not because I feel like I am who Jesus is talking about, even though I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. The clarity 
and the permanence of this scripture absolutely begs our attention. Um, we do not have the right or the prerogative to cherry pick through the Bible and just kind of carelessly and casually almost take what we want and ignore what we don't like. I can't think of anything that is, that is more dangerous than that. But it is the whole counsel of God that truly saves us. And so this is incredibly important to us today. Notice with me in verse number 22, I don't really know who Jesus is talking about in terms of a name or a face or an individual, but there are people that will fulfill this. And Jesus didn't say that it was a few. He did not say that it was a handful. He used the word many. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Just for the sake of understanding this, and Jesus could have continued. He could have continued and said, well, every once in a while I showed up to church. He could have continued and said, every once in a while I read your word. Every once in a while I lifted my hands. Etc., etc. The individuals that are mentioned in this passage of scripture were basing their credibility on what they did. Not what they were. And let's just be perfectly honest here. You are in a Pentecostal church here this morning. We are Pentecostal by experience and we are apostolic by doctrine. What does that mean? That means that we go all the way back. We are the originals by theological definition. I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. That's not my point. I'm just giving us a definition. And so when people say, have we not prophesied, there's not everybody in the religious world today believes in the operation of the gifts. One way of looking at this passage of scripture is saying that it's not our giftedness that saves us. It's not our giftedness that makes us credible. There are some people that have majored on Myers, minors, in my opinion. Just recently, there was somebody that uh, contacted me. In fact, they didn't talk to me. They, they wrote a letter, and I read the letter, and it was saying that they didn't feel like 
there was a place for their gift in this congregation. I want to tell you unequivocally, undeniably, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I am not who I am because of how God chooses. Oh, my God, I feel it on me already. I am not who I am because of what I do here. Well, you're the pastor. That I want to tell you that, yes, I am the pastor. But long before I was a pastor, I was a servant, and I will continue to be a servant. You have to be a follower before you can be a leader. If you've got grandiose plans of God ever using you, let me encourage you to find a place and dig in and serve with all your heart. And in due season, God will elevate you. And that who served, let's clap our hands and give God great praise for that opportunity. But there's almost a line of reasoning here in which people are saying that this is what I did for Jesus. Therefore, that should be good enough. This verse in verse number 23 echoes, in my opinion, the most haunting phrase in the entirety of the New Testament. I never knew you. Yes, you did this. Yes, you did that. Yes, you did this. But that was not really what I was looking for. I was not looking for a performance. I was looking for a relationship. Now, there's a lot of people that might say, you know, Pentecost cornerstone over there has got this, and they're blessed, and they got the building, and they got all this. I want to set the record straight. This is not about performance. This is about relationship. And if you want to interpret that with us four and no more, you can go ahead. I've already been there and done that. This is for relationship. Somebody needs to clap their hands and give God the praise right now. I'm not here because anybody made me. I'm not here because I had to come here. I'm here because I want to get closer to God. I'm here because I want to walk with God. I'm here because I want my wife saved. I'm here because I want my husband saved. I'm here because I want my children saved. I'm here because I want my neighborhood saved. In fact, I think you're in greater danger to want to be small and stay small because there's nothing about God that's small. If it's God, it'll grow. If it's God, it'll flourish. If it's God, it'll dominate. If it's God, it'll replicate. If it's God, it'll regenerate. If it's God, it'll take dominion. If it's God, it'll take over. If it's God, you'll enlarge your borders. If it's God, you'll increase your territory. If it, oh my God, I feel it. Come on, somebody. You're not supposed to be stagnant. You're not supposed to be in suspended animation. You're not supposed to be like you were five years ago. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to glow. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph.
this verse 23 that says, I never knew you, has echoed through Christianity for the last 2,000 years. What's interesting is, is when you start to get in a little deeper and you begin to look at this theologically, it holds incredible importance. And we're going to explore that importance here in several moments. This is found in Matthew chapter number seven. What's important about that is that Jesus began his teaching ministry in Matthew chapter five. In your Bible and in my Bible, it is solid red letters. It's solid. All of Matthew chapter five is in red. All of Matthew chapter six is in red. And Matthew chapter number seven is in red, which means this was a body of teaching that Jesus did beginning, and it's called theologically as the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, you know, blessed are they that mourn, and blessed are the pure in heart, so on and so forth. That begins in Matthew chapter number five. This is part and parcel of that same teaching session that Jesus did. But what's interesting is in this particular passage in Matthew chapter number seven, because of the finality of this, it seems out of place. It does find its place in a far more familiar passage of scripture, which is found in Matthew chapter number 25. Now, Matthew chapter 25 of course, is after Matthew chapter 24, but it is in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus describes the end of the world and his second coming. It is the, mo, it's, it is the most eschatological, that's a long theological world, word, eschatology, that simply means the study of end time events or the study of prophecy. And so in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus goes through virtually almost the entire chapter where he's talking about the unfolding of end time events that will culminate with his, his return. But in Matthew chapter 25, there are different scenarios that are, are time stamped. They're there specifically to let us know that these are forms of judgment, the pronouncement of judgment that will take place at the end. The most familiar is the very first one that's described in Matthew chapter 25, and it's where he talks about the 10 virgins, okay? In Matthew chapter 25, verse number one, it says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto 10 virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. We're all familiar with that, very familiar passage of scripture. It's, 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 it's a staple of Sunday school. But there is relevance in this, in this message here today, because of the finality that takes place with five foolish virgins. I want to tell you, if I could just say this, I'm just riding the coattails of this powerful passage of Scripture, that this is a day and an hour where we should be full 
of the Holy Ghost. No, there's, we, nobody's holding a gun to your head. Nobody's putting you in a concentration camp. Nobody is persecuting you. It is a time of great free will and a time of exercising your choice. I choose to live for God today. I choose to be in prayer meeting. I choose to lift my hand. Nobody's making me do anything. I'm doing this now. I'll do it then. I'll do it when the Antichrist, if I'm still here, nobody's going to change me. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to get me to quit. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. I submit to you in the context of this passage of Scripture that it's far more telling for you to do it now when it's freedom of choice and free will than it is when someone's putting a gun to your head and said, do it or else. I'm not going to give the devil that kind of pleasure to see that I'm going to be faithful because if I'm not if, if because I'm going to be put in a concentration camp. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be faithful with the internet. I'm going to be faithful in the face of social media. I'm going to be faithful in a world given over to entertainment. I'm going to be faithful in a world given over to professional sports. I'm going to be faithful in a world that is inundated with Hollywood. I'm going to be faithful Somebody clap your hands and lift your voice right now. I'm making that choice right here. I'm making that choice right now. I want my lamp to be full of oil now. I'm not going to wait till the end. I'm not going to wait till Armageddon. I'm going to do it now. And so there's a lot more to this story about the virgins. For example, this is an illustration of a Jewish wedding. And during a Jewish wedding, there is a time, and here it's referred to as midnight, when the bridegroom cries, the bride and her wedding party is to run out halfway. It's a halfway point between where the groom is and where the bride is. And it's at night. So it requires illumination. It requires oil in the lamp so you can see your way to get to the voice of the groom. And there were five that were unwise. The Bible called them foolish because they had no oil in their lamps. And while they were out in the community, in the world, the cry came forth, and the wise virgins that had oil in their lamps, they were trimmed, they were prepared, they were ready. They found their place, and the bridegroom closed the door. And finally, the foolish virgins finally get it together, and they finally find their way to the door. But look at what verse 12 says says of this chapter. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, open up to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. They were pure morally. They were not immoral. They were not fornicators. They didn't have an internet pornography problem. They didn't have a problem using all these social dating websites. They were morally pure. They were virgins. 
But it took more than that. It required more than that. And just like in Matthew 7 where he, Jesus said, I never knew you, as they knocked on the door and wanted entrance, Jesus is saying, I know you not. The reason why I'm going through this in Matthew 25 is because the scripture in Matthew 7, because of its finality, appears that it would be more at home in the context of Matthew 25 than it does on the Sermon of the Mount. And then we have the talents. A man taking a journey into a far country calls his servants. He gives one five, another two, and another just one. He comes back from his journey. He takes an account of what they've done with these talents. The one that had five invested his in himself and in others and came up with 10. The other one came up with five. The one individual that had the one talent went and hid his abilities and his God-given talent. And this is what his master said to him. His Lord answered and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put money to the exchangers. Then at my coming, I would have received mine own with usury. That's talking about interest. At least if you would have invested it on the first level, just, just invested horizontally, then at least there would be some interest. Take, therefore, the talent from him and give it unto him which has ten talents. The reason being, at least the one that doubled is a producer. Jesus is a very astute businessman. He's more interested in getting something extracting a benefit from what he has done than something going into hiding. Am I reading this right? So Jesus is saying, take the one from that one servant. So God doesn't take from the blessed and give to the poor. God blesses people that go to work with what they have. I know that goes contrary to welfare and it goes contrary to our culture, but we're talking about eternity. We're not talking about social programs, which is why Cornerstone, yes, we keep getting bigger buildings. You want to know why? Because this is for God. This is not for man, and this thing should be full. It will be full. And after that one's full, we're going to talk about building another one. Don't tell me that some poor, starving home missionary is the one that needs all of the lavish of the praise and all the resources. No, 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 no. God says, give it to that one because at least he's doing something with my name, my gospel, the power, the message. Clap your hands and give God the praise. These are the final words of judgment 
and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ladies and gentlemen, I am only the messenger today. I didn't come up with this. But it is, we need to understand that when we come into the kingdom of God, that we're operating on a completely different set of principles than the principles that are championed on YouTube or the principles that are championed on social media or the principles that are championed out of Rome or the principles that are championed out of any number of environments. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to get to the good stuff. But this is the word of God. See, I'm starting to think maybe we're a little different because I love it all. I love the judgments and I love the blessings. I need the judgments because I need to know where that line is. See, if I stay at home and I think I'm my own leader and God's only given the fivefold ministry exactly what I need so that I can be exactly what God wants me to become, then I am deceived into thinking that all I need is myself. That's a person that has hid their talents away and will not get in alignment. If you look at that scripture, it said, will not trade, will not barter, will not relate, will not get in communion, in community with a bigger picture. And then in our last one, it is the separation of the sheep and the goats. And they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you have done it unto me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So, again... A very quick review here. Matthew 24 is all eschatological. It's end of the world scenario. Matthew 25 is a series of judgments after. We had the virgins, the unprofitable servant, and then they that would not reach out to their brothers and sisters. With that being said, let's go back to Matthew chapter number seven and gain a better understanding of why this scripture is where it is. As I've already mentioned, because of the finality of this, there's no other scripture like this that I can think of in the entirety of the gospels of Jesus Right here in this wonderful teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about there's a group of people, Jesus said, many, that I never knew you. That makes me want to study this out to the nth degree and make sure that's not me and that's not you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad you're here today, but that's not enough. I'm glad that some of us marched and gave uh, faithfully to God in your tithes and offerings in the word of God, but that's not enough. I'm glad that da 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 all the dues, all the stipulations in the word of God, separation from the world and holiness under, under the Lord and so on and so forth, but it's not a much enough. God is after something very specific. And so here in Matthew chapter number seven, what's really taking place here is that there is a larger context of which these three verses are apart. Let's go back to verse number 15 and let's get the context of this incredible passage of scripture. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay? This is where we're going with this, and this is, this is going to lead us until the, until this climax that we read in verse number 23. They were one thing on the outside. They were another thing on the inside. Jesus did not say that they were preaching false doctrine. That would have been probably much easier to say that they were preaching doctrine that, that according to Galatians chapter one, the apostle Paul could have easily said, if any man or any angel that's preaching anything other than what I have said, let him be accursed. Jesus was not referring to that. He was simply saying, they're coming to you in one thing, but inwardly there's something else. Does everybody see that? Okay, that means I can go on. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? That's a, that's a very interesting verse right there, and it's talking about getting the right results by doing the right things. You don't, you're not gonna get fruit from thorns and thistles. And thorns and thistles has a long biblical meaning of talking about wasteland. Here we go in verse 17. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So here it is. Now we've got a definition that we can work with. He gave an example. Now we've got some biblical definition that we can work with, and that is simply this. We have a distinction between a good tree and a corrupt tree. And now that that is firmly lodged in our understanding, look at the next verse. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now that's, that's really encouraging to me, okay? That a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Romans chapter seven, verse 21, the apostle Paul, we actually quoted this several weeks ago. He said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. When you're a good tree, 
It means that you have obeyed the gospel and the power of God is on the inside of you. And even though you might be tempted with evil, it, you are not going to allow it to make you an evil tree. Even though, even though when I leave this building today, I, there could be a multitude of things. I'm preaching to a, a, large, a large group of people here today that you get into your car, that maybe, you're, maybe all of a sudden the devil says, well, this man has had this weakness because he had this weakness in the world or he had this weakness before they came to God and I'm gonna start working on that weakness. That that which is in you is saying, you're staying on the outside. You are not, you're not gonna put roots down in here. Come on, somebody. It doesn't mean that you're not tempted. It doesn't mean that you don't make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you maybe fall and you have a lapse in character, but you come to the place of saying, God is in here and God is staying in here and I'm gonna get back on my feet and I'm gonna get back to the altar and I'm gonna get back in the Holy Ghost and I'm gonna get back into worship. You are not going to make me a false prophet. I am going to be what God wants me to be. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, all over this house, somebody praise him. You might even have made huge mistakes. There might be days and weeks and months of a lapse of good godly character in your life. But keep in mind with me that the prodigal, although he was in a far country, was still a son. And the thing that brought him back to the father's house was not living in a pig pen. It was not staying with the pigs. It's when his mind went back. I, 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 there's a better diet back at church. There's better things back in church. There's better fellowship back at church. There's pure. It's pure. It's powerful. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's where I'm at. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. You're not going to make me a corrupt tree. I may have thoughts every once in a while. I may even do something every once in a while. But that's not me. That's not who I want to be. That's not where I'm going to be. Somebody shout with a voice to triumph. My God, let's put the devil on the run around here today. If the devil's telling you it's over and you're corrupt and you're damaged goods, I bind that lion spirit by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ that is in me. Come on, let these rafters roar and give God the praise and send a message to your adversary. This is why it's important to continue to come to the house of God. Because in John chapter number 15, the illustration that he gives is that this is a vineyard. He's not working outside the vineyard. Somebody can stay at home and suck their thumb and say, well, I'm just going to get spiritual at home. No, you have removed yourself from the only environment in which God can produce fruit, will produce maturity, will produce an anointing, will produce your giftedness. 
You can't slink off into the shadows and say, I'm going to be used to God out here. No, 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 no. It has to be in the context of where the trees are, where the fruit is. Come on, somebody. I know it's perfectly fine in the 21st century for people to be spiritual solo artists. But there ain't no spiritual solo artists that are going to be saved. Even Apollos had to come under Aquila and Priscilla and recognize there's people that have the oversight in my life and recognize that I need more truth. Clap your hands and give God the praise for that. Just come on and dry your eyes and blow your nose and come on home and just say, I'm not any more important than anybody. I don't have a gift that's different from everybody. I need to get back in the vineyard because without me, you can do nothing. Even people that decide to change their vineyard. You better think long and hard about that. Because if you've got a time-tested long time in a vineyard where you're producing fruit and other people are being blessed by that, you need to think twice about making some kind of personal favorite choices. Listen, that is not a cheap shot towards people moving to Florida. But listen, don't come to me in January when we're freezing to death and say, I think God's calling me to Florida. Give me a break. Don't, 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 don't come to me in the middle of February when we're looking for an extra blanket to put around us and just and say, I think God's calling me to Hawaii. No, I think God's calling you to a prayer closet where you can find out who you are, who you are right here, who you are in the Northwest, who you are with an anointing, who you are with a purpose, who you are in the right vineyard. Who you... Somebody clap your hands and shout. And I'm going to be exactly what God's called me to be. I'm not looking to escape it. I'm not looking to get out of relationship. Relationship. This is the danger with people that move around a lot. It gets easier and easier and easier at the first sign of having to deal with some personal things. You exercise your choice and just stay home. Nobody will ever be developed to their God-given purpose by yourself. It takes a man of God. It takes a vineyard or an orchard. And it takes the interaction that takes place in these pews. Well, you know, brother so-and-so said this, but I went and prayed, and I still love brother so-and-so. You just went up a notch. Well, sister so-and-so done this. Well, I prayed and fasted. I got a lot more grace, and I found out I'm a lot tougher than what I thought I was. Well, somebody did this, and the devil flicked me out, and now I'm on the outside, and I actually think I'm smart, and actually you're blind. to stay in the orchard because that's where the fruit comes. Well, all I need is God and me and God are going to produce everything. No, no. The empowerment comes vertically. The blessings come horizontally. 
which seems if I'm working out my difficulties with Brother ABC and Sister XYZ, if I'll say, God, I ain't going nowhere. There ain't anybody here big enough and bad enough that's going to flick me out of this place. But I'm not going to put it on them. I'm going to get up and go to early morning prayer. I'm not going to start blaming them. I'm going to get out and make it to church tonight. I'm not going to blame them. I'm going to find the prayer room tonight. I'm not going to blame them. I think I'll go on a three-day fast. And then you start going up, 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 up. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody give God the praise. God is preaching to somebody. God is reaching for somebody. Hallelujah. I never knew you. How could that happen? They prophesied. They cast out devils. They preached. They witnessed. They did it. But they didn't do it because of relationship. Relationship with God is impossible. I'm almost done. In fact, I'm closer to being done than you think right now, which means you should start responding a lot more because at least he's almost done. So I think I'll start responding. Thank you. I don't want to preach one word past what I'm supposed to preach today. I want to get, get the job done and then let God work. It is impossible to know God without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands and give him praise. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. The Lord knoweth them that are his. This is why you are in a Pentecostal church. Mom, I went to a Pentecostal church. Yeah, I know. That's a church where they just go. No, it's not all. And to all of our critics that say, I just don't feel like doing ah. You can do that on a hospital bed with medication. You can do that on a bar stool. You can do that in a den of iniquity. Or you can do it because you're free. I'd rather run these aisles than be on a honky-tonk dance floor and wake up without my wallet, wake up without my car, wake up without my mind, wake. Oh, let's just take a moment and worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to have a relationship with God. It's impossible to know God the way that God wants to know you. Well, I already know God. And he's over there. And I'm over here. And my world's fine. And, and everybody's... You don't understand. This ain't about you. 
I got news for this Generation Z or whatever you call yourself. It ain't about you. It's all about him. It's about his will. It's about what he's done. It's about his blood. It's about his power. It's about his resurrection. It's about... Let's clap our hands and worship him again. My God, I feel it. My God, I feel it all over me here today. Once I resign, I'm not saying you can't prophesy. I'm not saying you can't cast out devils. I'm not saying you can't do many wonderful works. I'm just saying you're not doing them now to build up a million subscribers on YouTube. And you're not just doing it to blow people over and be called some charismatic hocus pocus. You're doing it now because of the power of the almighty God. And you paid the price for the relation. Come on, let's praise him. This church, as long as we are on planet Earth, we will continue to espouse, promote, present, preach that you must have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In fact, if I understand Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, you can't even be saved without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that's where our denominational world is. You have to understand that the false doctrine in our world is not seeing you get filled with the power of God. It's keeping you from the power of God. It's literally keeping you in some intellectual thing that was from the dark ages so that you don't get that personal empowerment where you can cast out the devil, where you can prophesy truth, where you can do wonderful works under the the power of the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It is impossible to have the kind of relationship that Jesus is defining here by going to church, by being faithful according to some denominational tenet or tenets, and just living that belief system out. What a shock it would be to live your whole life and then have Jesus say, I never knew you. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? I, I, I went to church. I went to church with my grandparents, and then I went to church. But you never did the research to find out what I did. I poured out my spirit 2,000 years ago, not so I could do magic tricks, but though I could live back in Adam. I could get back into the garden. I could get back into your life. You and I could commune again. You and I could take dominion again. You You have to have the power of the Holy Ghost to have the kind of relationship with God that God is looking for. And it's not just for a bag of gifts and tricks. It's so that God's with you every day. God's with you through every valley. God's with you during the shadow of death. God's with you in the hospital room. God's with you in the courthouse. God's with you in the church house. 
God's with you when you raise your family. God's with you when you're on the job. God's with you everywhere, all the time, everywhere. He's ubiquitous. He's ever-present. He's everywhere. To have the Holy Ghost and not get to know him is probably one of the worst crimes of the human race. It's one thing to claim that you believed an incomplete doctrine because it was in your family tree and you knew nothing else. It's another thing to have that power and not have taken advantage of it so that you can know him like Paul did in a jail when he said that I may know him. I've been using God, of God all over Asia Minor. I've seen, I've seen miracles. I've seen the devil cast out. I've seen this gospel thunder through all of Asia. But I'm not satisfied. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So really what I'm talking about in closing is that everybody needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because that becomes the matrix whereby a relationship is developed through the weakness of my flesh and the failures of my life and to the internal resources of an almighty God. Let's stand. Asking the musicians to come right now. Let's lift our hands all over this building. If you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues, God has that wonderful gift for you. If it's been a while since you were able to push through the intellectual darkness in your own mind, this is a perfect day to push through and say that I need to reclaim that relationship. I need to push through to that relationship. Without any further delay, I want to invite this entire congregation. I want to invite you to come to the altar right now. We got a gentleman that's going to be baptized here. He drove all night to get here said that God woke him up in the middle of the night that he need to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's wonderful, but I'm also saying you need to reestablish a broken relationship through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. God, I want that relationship. I want that power. I want that spirit by the authority of the name of Jesus. I don't want to just go to church and just lift my hands. I want to do it in my living room. I want to do it in my car. I want to do it on the job. I want to take Jesus with me 24-7, 365 days a year. Wherever I go, I'm going to take Jesus on the inside of me. Come on, let's lift our hands and let's pray by the authority of the name of Jesus. Cornerstone, help us. Help us find somebody to pray with her. A lot of people praying right now. Let's pray. You're in the right place today. The Holy Ghost is here. The Spirit of God is here. 
The Spirit of God is wooing the human race. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship not just for five minutes, five hours, five years, 50 years. I want a relationship for eternity.